0: And there are moments that happen hundreds and thousands of times as a gymnast where you leap off the floor and you do not know where your body's going to land and you have to figure it out, right? And yes, you practice for it and you train for it and you drill for it. But there is that moment where you leap, where all you can do is trust and you have to trust yourself.
1: Welcome to the Evolutionary Leadership Podcast. My name is Gibran Rivera, and I'm a facilitator. Here, I am inviting you into a conversation with remarkable leaders who are committing their lives to the evolution of consciousness and culture. In this episode, I get to interview my friend and colleague, Tuesday Ryan Hart. Tuesday is a facilitator like myself, Her and our friend Tim Mary have recently launched a new firm. It's called Find the Outside, and I really love their tagline. It says that everything we do is how change begins. And working with Tuesday, I really know that to be true. Tuesday is concerned with big change, with system change, with placing equity at the center of everything that she does. I get to... Learn from Tuesday and to collaborate with her on a couple of clients. Uh, over the last number of years, we have partnered with Bali, the Business Alliance for Local Living Economies, and we have really done a beautiful and deep work together there. And we are also partnering on some work with the Open Society Foundations and with their US offices. I'm looking forward to seeing how that unfolds. In this episode, We talk about facilitation, and and I know that many of you uh, have wanted to learn more about that and how we think about that work. So I think you'll enjoy it. We also talk about trauma and about somatics and the power of embodiment. And we talk about radical responsibility. We even have an invitation here because both Tuesday and myself are, are concerned by a culture that seems to really, really center victimhood. And we are curious about what it would be like to, to open up brave spaces and to create alternative spaces where where different modalities and different ways of being together can be explored. Let us know what you think, as, as you know, this is still the early days of the Evolutionary Leadership Podcast, and, and your feedback is invaluable. Enjoy the conversation. I, I certainly found it very powerful. Thank you for tuning in. Tuesday, I am so excited that. You accepted my invitation into this podcast.
0: Oh, I'm excited to be here and uh, especially excited because you were just on my podcast earlier this week. So I feel like it's a little bit of a continuation of a conversation and I'm looking forward to it.
1: I do too. That was really a good conversation with you and Tim. And that's a big part of, of what I want to talk about here. I want to ask you about what you two are doing together. Tell me a little bit about the outside.
0: Sure. So The Outside is our company that we actually just launched in March, which has me amazed. So after years of working together, uh, my business partner, Tim, Mary, and I decided to more formally work um, collaboratively. So both of us had kind of had independent brands. And of course, we have our own companies. And um, the scale of work we were being asked into was bigger and bigger. And so the our work as the outside is around systems change that has say that, that I know that feels kind of jargony. So we found ourselves being asked into work where folks said we actually need the system to change. We don't want it. We know we can't program our way out of this issue, right? We need to have a, a larger systems view. And um, what we know about that kind of change is it can, it can and does happen all of the time, but often issues of equity are not at the center of that change. And so one of the things we say is like people make all sorts of change without making much difference, right? That's kind of like a one-liner.
1: Um, I like that a lot. <laughs> I like power, yeah, that's, that's really good.
0: Good, right? And, so, and everyone's been there, right? Everything changes. The people change. The structure change. But actually, at the end of the day, nothing fundamentally has changed. There's no difference in who has the wealth or power or resources in the system or the folks who are recipients um, of the services of a system. Like nothing has fundamentally changed for them. So let me give you an example. Um, I was involved in some homelessness work years ago. And I loved that work. And we did, we reimagined the homelessness system here in my community. It was three and a half years of work, uh, really good people, really uh, huge amounts of effort. And at the end of that redesign, um, the question still is why are African Americans, who are only 25% of the population in my town, 80% of the people who are homeless? There is no other explanation for that, even if you account for education or job. There's no other explanation besides racism. And so then that project started to take on race in a different way. And so I, I, and I think my, my partner Tim, so I, but I really just prefer to talk for myself right now. So I don't want to do a lot of, you know, like in Tim, but so I'm just going to talk for myself and my part of the outside. Um,
1: well, I love Tim, but I'm quite, uh, excited that you, Tuesday, are the guest of the podcast. <laughs> and as I mentioned in the intro, you and I, that one of the reasons for you and I work together. And um, I don't get to facilitate, I don't get to co-facilitate with a lot of people. So it's, uh, it's really exciting to be in this particular chat with you specifically.
0: Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And I guess I'm just aware that when I talk about the outside, it's not just me, but today, for today, it's going to be me right? So we're just going to do that. And I'm not going to talk about that piece anymore. And I kept coming into change processes, right? So having come from, and I know we're going to talk about my background more, but more from movement space where there is an analysis. I I was brought into systems project where there wasn't an analysis and it felt like I could either do kind of movementy stuff, or I could do systemy stuff, but those two worlds weren't talking together. And so the outside is our effort to kind of bring those two pieces together. So we're gonna take on systems change. One of the things we are looking for, asking about vetting our clients for is, are they willing to have equity at the center of that change? Are they willing to talk about, you know, kind of the, the easy things around equity, easy, none of it's easy, but like access, right? Access and inclusion, for example. And that's great. Most folks want to go there. I think, you know, there's something no one's going to say we should be less accessible or inclusive, right? That's never language folks are going <laughs> to Right. <laughs> They're always going to say they want that. And so that's great. Yep, that's a good on-ramp. Um, and we're assessing our clients. Are you really interested in moving power? Are you really interested in talking about where wealth and resources are? Do you actually want to shift the system where those who do not have not only have access to, but can impact how the system is changing for their benefit. So that is, uh, that's been, I think, my work for a number of years. And The Outside just launched in March as a formalization. As our work got bigger and bigger and required more, we decided that it was worth coming together. So our clients were starting to not want kind of a single named brand. They wanted more of an organization or a company. And so that's why we formed. And we're off. We're, we're going like crazy, and it's fantastic.
1: That that sounds amazing, and I, I definitely want to dig in, dig in more, particularly around your approach to equity and how you're making progress, centering that. It's mm. just yesterday, I um, I was facilitating, and there were two women that I that are Boston-based women that have been doing this equity and inclusion work. For, for a long time, for, for a decade. And it was really awesome to me to be with them in this moment when there seems to be a heightened awareness yeah. of what this work is and that these yeah. people, people like yourself, people like them, have actually been building right, the field and this work for a long time as this moment now, now arises. So I really want to talk about what you're seeing, what is different now, in terms of how people are talking about equity, and if you forgive me, uh, or indulge me instead of forgive me, I would love to know something about you first. Like I, I want to have, I want to have a sense of where did you come from, <laughs> and I don't mean like where do you live, yeah. but but, <laughs> but tell me a little bit about your story.
0: Well, I think um, where I live is really important, actually. So we can talk about that. I think. Um, <laughs> It is important. Y'all you, you podcast listeners can't see it. He just rolled his eyes. But I am, it's, what? You did. I'm just saying. Um, I live in Columbus, Ohio. And that is important only because I think an important part of my story is being a Midwesterner. Right? I have lived in Iowa and Ohio. Those are the only two places I've ever lived in my whole life. And I think I didn't actually realize There was something that's culturally Midwest until I started traveling a lot. And of course there is. And I, and there's, you know, a lot that would be negative. I know folks tend to think of us as the red states or the flyover states or however people who do, who live on the coast (laughs) tend to think about those of us in the middle of the country. Um, But it has been, uh, as I travel, I realize it's actually quite an important part of who I am to be a Midwesterner, right? And what that means. I think a little, a little more um, self-effacing, a little more humble, a little more practical, a little less. Um, yeah, I think that's just important. You know, being from Ohio is important.
1: Thank you, thank you. And I did not mean. To go this, <laughs> but we do work together, so we do tease each other. And one of the things I teach Tuesday about is not coming, not coming from a real city. Yeah. Uh, but I don't really mean it. I don't really mean
0: it. I know. I, I mean, it's
1: mean- definitely not Boston.
0: Well, what is, right? Exactly. And also, thank goodness. But... um, <laughs> 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 So if you want to know a little... So where should we start a little bit about me? What do you want to know? Could you ask me a...
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, Honestly, what's in the back of my head is the way a good story starts. Mm-hmm. When it says a once upon a time so so one of my one of my assumptions one of the assumptions that i'm making is that you were not born awake that you were probably born amazing uh, you know but in terms of the development of a political consciousness right And, and so i'm curious to learn a little bit about your trajectory how does somebody like you yeah uh end up doing this this really big system where it's a center's equity. But I'm curious as to the beginning, you know, and, and, and I'm not trying to answer the question for you, I swear. <laughs> but one of the things you say a lot that I love and I want to get to mm-hmm. is your mother taught you that women are your friends. Yeah. Right? That, I, in the years working with you, I, I've often heard you say that and it always moves me, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it makes me... Even more aware of a certain strength that you bring, um, uh, and so I, I'm curious as to how that that comes about.
0: Yeah. Oh, great. Um. So in my community, um, one of the questions we sometimes ask, um, is if you were born a question, what would it be? Right. With the idea that everyone was born a question, right? Were they in some ways were the answer to a question? Oh man, I love that. Right. Right. So. Uh, when I was first asked that question, what question were you born? Uh, uh, my answer was immediate. And my answer was the question I came in carrying was, how do I help these people be together better?
1: <laughs>
0: and so that has been like just from cradle my question. Now, of course what that has meant as I get older is um, these people includes me, right? It's not me just acting on the world, right? It's actually like, how do I be better with these people? How am I helping these people who are me, like my little cast of characters inside of me, how am I helping them be better together? Um, but there, so it, you know, of course, right? Fractals, it all fractals up, like from the, the cast of characters, the different parts of me, how I help them to be better together, how I help people, my family be better together together which of course in your early life is what you're working with, right? And then how do I out in the world help people be together better? And so that I think is really the guiding, one of the guiding questions of my life, except it's not an acting on the world, it's a being with. And so, um, and I think that that's a big shift. And so I think what's maybe important to understand um, is that I am a black, white, biracial woman who was born in the early 70s, mid 70s. Um, And so that wasn't, we, there there weren't a ton of us then, right? It was kind of a thing uh, to have a white mother and a black father. And that was a tumultuous early life. And I think that's where I started. How do you help these people be together better? And no matter what was happening in that particular life, uh, my mother always turned to her women friends. We always had very good women friends. And that was kind of a drum she beat for me, right? Which is like women are your friends. You turn to women in your life. And, um, and that's been an incredibly important lesson for me. Now I did also, I feel like if I, if I, if if I mentioned my mom, I feel like I really, as a, as a key influence on me, I also really need to mention my grandfather who is my father's father who was also just like, he was for me. And so I had two people in my early life as much as there was a lot of pain and trauma and drama and hardship. Um, I had two people in my life who were fully for me. And I think that makes a difference. And so um, I, I I don't even know what to say. I went to school. Um, You might ask about athletics later. I'll talk about that. But I think if we talk about the women piece, when I was a junior in college, I walked into, we had to do an internship. So I walked into a rape crisis center. I don't know what made me do that. I don't know why I picked that as an internship. It was only going to be like a nine-week thing. And um, and I walked in and I felt like I was at home. <laughs> and that's so strange for people because, of course, people hear rape. It's called sexual assault services now. Maybe not even that at this point. But it was called rape crisis at that point. And um, I think folks find that strange that that would be a place that I would find home. But what was amazing to me was that these were women, primarily at that point, cisgendered women uh, who were coming together and, and helping each other. And like, that is as simple as it was. That was like the whole beauty magic of it. We can do something about this together. And so, and the action was direct. It was helping people who called you on the phone who had just been raped. It was going to the hospital. It was accompanying people to court, but it was also systemic, right? So we're going to help the folks who are surviving this issue, but we're also then gonna work on laws and policies, right? And so just like for me had that breadth um, of action that was quite appealing to me that felt more holistic and it was woman-centered and woman-led and woman, women ran. And so that's what's interesting to me now. I did that work for a number of years, went on, got my master's degree, worked in domestic violence. Like, and it was not until I went out on my own that I actually worked much with men like my whole early professional life was only with women. I'm not sure I've ever had a male boss. Wow. Mhm. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: That's and great.
0: It it has been, right? So I had when I had my first child, um I was working at a state domestic violence coalition and you know, like every mom falls in love with their first baby in a way that's like <gasps> Maybe I should be home, right? Like maybe that's what I'm actually supposed to do with my life. I should just like give it all up because there's nothing more important than this being. And of course, many of us don't have the means to do that. But if you have the means to do that, you consider that. But what kept me working was working with women. I worked with 11 other women and my boss said, bring your baby to work. Wow! And so I brought him to work with me for the first six months of his life. I would do calls and I would be holding him or someone would take him and he had his bassinet in my office. And that really kept me working, which now my kids are older, they're 15 and 10. Like, I understand that I am a working mom. That's also another like key piece of who I am. Um, and I understand that it was women who were able to help me do that. They were able to help me contribute both to my family in very real ways and to the work that was my passion in really real ways.
1: Thank you so much for sharing so generously. I. I I'm really moved by by this story and by your awareness of by the way you tell it. By there's there's a there's a power in it that that is that's moving me, Mm -hmm. right? That is moving me. So I'm I'm really I'm really grateful for that. Uh, So much to ask and. You did say, maybe you'll ask me about athletics, and i cannot uh i cannot go anywhere else i one of the things i know you <laughs> one of the things I know about you is that you are uh, that you're an athlete that you' mm-hmm. are a marathon runner, that you just ran a triathlon that that mm-hmm. being in this body right mm-hmm. in a way that is both both powerful and healthy is something central to your life and and I would love to hear more about that and how that informs that informs you
0: sure well first I feel like I want to say I did run a triathlon and I will never run a triathlon again (laughs) the single worst athletic experience of my life uh but you know you got to try things so and I just feel like (laughs) I feel like I got to put a disclaimer on there like I am not a triathlete and I learned that lesson well okay (laughs) but I did do it I did do it
1: I think Um, that's a big deal
0: Yeah. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. I, I feel like, thank you for mentioning it because it's never happening again. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I, and I was an athlete from an early age. So let me just say that. So I started gymnastics at five.
1: Oh, I didn't realize that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very early. Um, and, uh, gymnastics, if folks know much about it, if you have, if you are a competitive gymnast, it takes over your life. Right. So that was what I did. Um, from the time I was five until I got injured at 16. And so, although that's feel like now in the, my mid forties, that feels like a short period of my life. I think those, that age, like those, those years are foundational. And so I learned a lot there that I think has, is impacted my professional life. Now there's no, I mean, I, and I'm happy to talk about running and how that works for me now too. But I think what I learned as a gymnast is a couple of things. One is, um, to be in my body. You know, I've mentioned that there were just like hard things happening at home that would separate me from my body, abuse and things like that, that would actually move me out of my body. And so to come back to my body in a very real, tangible, you have to be in your body. You are balancing on a beam that's three and seven eighths inches wide, right? Your hands have to grab that bar, right? You have to, you know, like those things that continue to bring me back to my body multiple days a week for multiple hours a day is something I can't underestimate for my experience of embodiment. It's just, I always say, if I get a new concept or if I hear something new, or if I learn something new, I don't know it until I feel it in my body. And so that's why if I learn something new, I go for a run because that's how I integrate it. So there's something actually quite important from a very early age that gave me trust in my body. Um, It also... Uh, you know, there's a moment as a gymnast and it, it's a moment that happens multiple times every time you practice. And so when I say as a gymnast, I talk about practice. By the time I left, I was doing four or five days a week for three or four hours a day. That's, that was my practice. It was, it was intense. Um, and there are moments that happen hundreds and thousands of times as a gymnast where you leap off the floor and you do not know where your body's going to land and you have to figure it out, right? And yes, you practice for it and you train for it and you drill for it. But there is that moment where you leap, where all you can do is trust. And you have to trust yourself. Now, that doesn't mean you don't get hurt. I broke my hand. I broke my toes. I blew out my knee. It's not that it always... <laughs> ends it's not, it doesn't always end up well, right? That's not... That's not the, and actually, my career ended because of an injury. But it is... I think what it gave me is a complete willingness to leap, (laughs) to leap and to trust my body and to trust myself to land. Um, And I don't know how to get that lesson any other way.
1: Wow. Wow. Thank you. This is, I mean, I'm so impacted. I've never heard you explain it this way. Mm. We just haven't gone into this level of depth about it. and, And I have some, I have, I have a question that I want to put a pin on. Okay. Which is, how does this understanding mm-hmm. uh, that that the way for you to know things, right, is in your body? How does it inform your facilitation work? Mm. Right. So that's yeah. Yeah. that's a question that I'm holding, uh, and and I want to say as I hold it that. When you as you know, when I talk of when I talk about like my purpose in life, I talk about the being centrally concerned with our evolutionary leap, right? Like the mm-hmm. fact that the only way the species can meet this moment, right, mm-hmm. is by taking that kind of leap. So at some point, I would love to to, 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 to learn more about what you know. About leaping, right? Yeah. That we can inf- that, that, that that can inform this this central life quest. But but first, I am in, I am really curious to know how does this awareness uh, about how we learn come into facilitation work?
0: That's great, and I think part of the reason I feel drawn to your work and drawn to working with you is because that idea of leaping makes just makes sense to me. It just like you say it, I'm like, yep, that makes sense. And so I think that that's like a key. I, I would love to, I don't have the answer to that question yet. So I'd love to dive into that. How does it show up in my facilitation or how does it impact my facilitation? Um, I wish it, I wish I could bring the physical into my facilitation practice more, actually. I think, I think about things like how are we giving people time to be in their bodies? How are we, um, in places where people can feel nurtured for their bodies and their bodies. But I also want to say like, I don't know that everyone experiences that need to like move things through their body to integrate it. Right. I'm I'm really clear that that's uh, something I feel very strongly. And so in my facilitation practice, what it means is I need to be places I can go out for a run. I need to have, I need to, I mean, like, you know, at any given moment, I will try to turn upside down, right? I'll try to find a wall and do a handstand. (laughs) That is so true. (laughs) Right? I just like, there's something, right, that for me, like kind of feels like it's ha-ha funny for the group, but I'm like, yeah, I got to get there. Like I got to get into my body. Um, And so uh, I love it when uh, I'm thinking about a particular colleague, Wendy Morris, who brings, she's a dancer. And so she brings that into a group. Like I want that. I don't know that in my facilitation practice, I bring that very strongly. besides my own practice, giving people permission, trying to set the conditions by which they have time to do that. Um, And one of our big clients right now is a provincial sports organization. And so I feel like I can talk to them. Like we talk in the same ways to each other because many of them are former athletes. And so there's just like a little, you know, there's like a little cultural thing, right? That's just like yeah right there they play hard they work hard they're not afraid and it's just it's it's like a cultural thing I think that comes from being an athlete so I, I I get along and work with those kind of folks really well but I do feel like there's a there's a gap in my practice where I'm so physical but I don't necessarily bring that into my facilitation so it's great to work with people who can and do and I feel like in some ways you do that right like I, I mean I, I'm just picturing you in the center of a circle like, pulling people down like using your body to ground i think i do that but not in the same physical way that you do so i i like to partner with people who can bring that because i don't exactly have it
1: it'd be uh, i'd be really curious to next time we're designing something together give this a little bit more thought um Mm. i i really i am at the a, a this current like at this current stage of of understanding, like what I know now, and it it will hopefully you know we'll keep learning, but what I know now has been pretty radically uh, committed to the body as the place where it all where it all goes down, you know yeah. like yeah. the overratedness of of thinking is <laughs> it's <right>. wild
0: <laughs> that's right. Uh, it's
1: wild and I don't mean thinking like yeah let's have good ideas and like let's plan things I don't mean that but I mean thinking our way out of a problem right finding the the argument that will get us right Uh. because I think so much of what we what we are learning is that la logic is secondary that we are being moved by affect right yeah and affect it comes with sensation. That's right. Affect is in the body, right? It's, it's so it just. I'm I'm really interested in, in going deeper there.
0: Well, and I would love that. And and so yes, we're actually going to design something soon. Let's let's make sure that we do that because I, uh, my uh, my brain went a couple different ways. One is um, that I think that's part of why people appreciate um so this is this is a cultural piece right I feel like I want to be really self-deprecating now um Deborah Fries calls it pathological modesty we have in Columbus Ohio <laughs> but um so I so um so I think that that I would say that that's one of the things that people are attracted to my in your facilitation for is this embodiment right that somehow I don't, I don't like the word model, but somehow it gives permission for people to be in their bodies. Like that's something actually I get back from people. Like you seem like you're really in your body. Like I get that feedback and somehow it permissions the body to come into facilitation. I would like to be more intentional about that. But I see you doing the same thing, right? So mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't want to underestimate that. And then of course, the other thing that comes to me that I think as, as we design something around body is, um, and I do not want to go down the... Rabbit hole of trauma. But I think it's worth thinking about how it can be challenging for folks who have been physically or sexually traumatized to be in their bodies. And so uh, sometimes an embodied facilitator who just gives that little bit of permission to ground and be in your body is pretty radical or gives more space or gives an opening to the physical. And I'd like to work with that more. Um, and I always share, like, folks ask all of the time about my facilitation practice and my, you know, assistant, change. and I always say, like, you got to have, I mean, like, for me, like, you have to have a practice. And and I think you have to have multiple practices, but if one can be physical, right, that's... Um,
1: well, I'm glad you said that. Um, and I'll share a little bit about my relationship to all of this. But but first, I will say something. If we, i ask you a question that I'm... That you don't have to answer. Kind of hoping you don't answer, which is <laughs> as as this as a Midwesterner with uh, with what, what what did Deborah call that? Uh,
0: Pathological modesty.
1: How can you how can you possibly partner with somebody that thinks? as highly of themselves. Somebody <laughs> that is so far from modest <laughs> as I am. I mean, I, 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 I'm gonna kind of realize how much of a contrast we are when it comes to that.
0: Right, yes, I, mean, <laughs> I will say, you, I, you, when I introduced you on our podcast, you said, <laughs> you said, just say he's gangsta. I'm like, what, what, <laughs> who says that? Who actually leads with that? Oh, Gibran, Gibran leads with that. Uh, you know, Gibran, it's part of your charm. I don't know. And um, I find it funny and delightful. And uh, look, Midwesterners don't say other people have to be pathologically modest. It's just how we're going to be. So,
1: it's um, you know. no, it, it, thank, thank you for tolerating me. Thank you for tolerating me. I, 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 I will say about this body part. Um, I have a coordination problem. Mm. Right, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and what that meant for me was that I didn't engage in athletics because I couldn't mm. catch a ball or throw it, yeah. right, yeah. in any way that made sense. And in our, in the culture, what it came down to was like, well, that's not what you're good at. Don't do it. Versus now, you know, I think no, it means you got to work harder at it. <laughs> but <laughs> but not doing it shouldn't be the option. Right. That, so then I had a little bit of a story in my head. Mm. And I'm also, I mean, I can be quite intellectual. So I can, had a bit of a story in my head where I was oh, I'm more in my head than in my body. Mm. But then I noticed feedback about my embodiment that contradicted my story,
0: right? Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. And, and And I say this to say, and I say this not to invite others into embodied practice. That's what I'm saying. The, the reason why I'm yeah. bringing this up is actually it's not, I don't think it's an option. Right. I think some form of tending to the body absolutely uh, is integral, definitely to doing this work, but also to being a more free human being. And, and I, told, I say my yeah. story because for me, that hasn't been any, any traditional athletic or sport activity.
0: Right, but have you seen yourself dance? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like you're totally embodied. Right? right? Like that, it's so, it's so, it's that narrative around what athlete is, right? What sport is. Um, and I actually think it's so interesting that you say now, both, you know, it would be the, the narrative would be more, you're not good at, so you have to try harder. What's happening, and I just happen to know this because I have a client in sport. What's happening is kids are being funneled into one sport so early. Like you have this kind of body or you have this kind of skill and what they're, I mean, of course that's terrible for children. And look, let me say that starting gymnastics at five and being in their hours of the gym every day, like I got a lot positive to say about it, but I could also say a lot negative about it. Um, There's a movement in sport called multi-sport which is that kids need to just engage in multiple different sports because they're not going to be good at everything. And they actually need different big muscle groups and different skills. And so, yeah, you can't catch and throw, but maybe your feet are fantastic, or maybe, you know, you actually have more precise movements. So something like ballet or, you know, so there's actually a movement in sport to it's not only about access um, economically, access body-wise to what is the sport your body can do, um, because it is so incredibly important. I mean, like the research is out there around how sport impacts, you know, academic achievement, but it's not even about achievement, it's actually about being a well-rounded person. For me, my running practice is as much spiritual as it is physical. It's, mm-hmm. I just happen to enter that spiritual practice through my body. And so the, I think I love what you just said. I easily identify as an athlete, just that was from an early age. But that's not an identity the majority of people have. But it doesn't mean their body isn't accessible to them or Brian, understanding through their bodies.
1: That's beautiful. No, I, it, it's it's this is, this is very helpful. I thank you. And and this part that you were talking about uh, about this kind of coming. Coming into your body multiple times a day, having to find that balance and 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 the implications that that had for your healing, um, it, it's 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 so clear to me and it moves me to pieces. And and I want to go back to something else uh, that you said, uh, and 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 then you were very explicit in your request. You don't want to go down the rabbit hole of trauma. <laughs> <laughs> but but this is a conversation I want to invite here for yeah. a second, at least to touch on because i think you and i have had really interesting conversations about this one of the things mm-hmm. that i appreciate about you is how transparent and clear you are about your own experience your personal experience of trauma mm-hmm. but also you know the years of time that you spent you know, working with with women facing yeah. facing trauma trauma and uh, and really harrowing stories you've shared powerful uh, powerful challenging stuff and and so that's why i think you're the best person to talk about mm-hmm. this with.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because as facilitators,
0: yeah,
1: uh, part of what's happening as the culture is changing, particularly in spaces that are, I don't know, I want to call it more, either more progressive or more movement-centered or whatever the right word is, the spaces in which we we end up working, there's a, a well-developed uh, discourse on trauma. Yeah. And, and I think of it as, as a huge advance, as a net positive, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So we are being together. We're learning to be together by holding the awareness that, uh, that there's such a thing as generational trauma. Right,
0: yeah.
1: That there's such a thing as communal trauma.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? And that there's like, significant trauma that comes from being... From the structures of oppression
0: yeah. of our
1: country, right? So those those understandings I think are liberating. Huge.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: What I what I find challenging, what I'm having to adapt to, is in facilitation. It's almost like I'm going to put over it, oversimplify. It. Sometimes it feels like you can do less, that you can ask less of people, that you can. They can, like, you can push people less because maybe they've had trauma, right? And since you want to be inclusive of all, mm-hmm. what you do is you don't do things that might trigger someone's trauma. Wow. Uh, and so, yes. right? And, and so, and so, what is the balance of care, right? And and certainly, I mean, for me, a clear one is being really, really inviting. When it comes to consent right but but there's how how do you work with it
0: (laughs) um yeah so uh i guess i want to start by saying uh, i haven't figured it out right so just to kind of name that um that i i still get in moments of like what is happening here um And I think it's because my experience being a trauma therapist, working with women and children who were experiencing some of the most horrific trauma that anyone can experience abuse at the hands of someone you love and who loves you. Right. So there's no bigger betrayal than that. So my experience of those wonderful people was like, they were not fragile. And so for me, being a trauma survivor actually indicates huge amounts of—it's—I don't love the word resilience, but hardiness, sturdiness, endurance, perseverance—all of the things that when trauma comes into our spaces is exactly the opposite of what people are asking for, right? They're asking to be—I don't even know sometimes what they're asking for. Uh, but when I think of trauma and trauma survivors, which is why this discourse is it can be quite challenging for me to engage in because my experiences of women who just gotten beaten by their husband that morning, coming together and laughing that night and holding hands and yes, crying and, and figuring it out together. And there wasn't a whole lot of room for this is so hard for me. What am I going to do? Right. Or I can't possibly the the space isn't safe. And so what am I going to do? Like that actually just wasn't part of what was happening. Um, and you've said to me, right, like we, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to paraphrase and I'm going to do it badly, but you've said something like, we are the people of Malcolm X. When did we get so like our feelings hurt, right? Like, and that's how I feel sometimes in these spaces. And it's not at all. I, I'm with you hundred percent. I love the acknowledgement of trauma. I think the acknowledgement of trauma, it, it, whether it's collective or generational or personal, I think that acknowledgement is one of the very first steps that helps people move into healing. I do not think we can go anywhere without acknowledging that trauma. My experience, however, is that you've got to do something next. You can't just sit around and talk about your trauma. And that's not what I experienced with the women I was working with. Yes, absolutely. We talked about their trauma. We say, but then we made a safety plan. And then we talked about what you were going to do the next day. And there's some forward momentum, I think, that's needed and how in these spaces I try to work with it. Acknowledge, witness, affirm, and move forward. It's not a acknowledge, witness, affirm, and stay there.
1: I'm so glad. I, thank you. Uh, that's that's part of my part of my observation too. And I just I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for for, for what you're articulating now, but but really for holding this the way you hold it uh in your life. But in, in our relationship, I I feel it's not that I haven't been hurt. I've you know I've been hurt. I've had I've had some hard things happen in my life, but. When you kind of co- compare traumas, right? Mm-hmm. I've had it pretty good. Yeah. I've had it pretty good, right? Like maybe not a wealthy family, but just like grew up with good people. Yeah, and, and there they their were hurts, but yeah. not not nothing like what you're talking about, right? Right. And so to be in this conversation with somebody that that that, that comes from their own experience and also and also has worked in deeply with folks that have been through so much, Um it's 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 really moving to be in this conversation with you and to find resonance. So, so, you know, I, I am, uh, involved in healing modalities, Mm -hmm. right. Um, Mm -hmm. from spiritual to shamanic practices. Right. And so I spend time and and of course the facilitation work is, it's, it's definitely a a healing modality of sorts, but, but outside of of the kind of more professional spaces. And that implies an incredible amount of, connection and compassion and seeing of, of, of people's hurts. Right. And being yeah. with, so I say that again to kind of say, look, this is something that I'm sensitive to and care about, but I think right. what is happening and where, and, and, and where I interrupted you is you see, there seems to be a payoff right now yeah. for, for being a victim. Right. There seems to be a way in which our spaces organize around victimhood that actually give the give the person uh who has been victimized a kind of payoff. And and, and what that does subconsciously is that rather than 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 doing what you said, which is move to work through it, is we're rocking it. We are rocking our trauma, right? Yeah. Carrying around this identity. Um because it's a little bit of a payoff that we get from it. Not a little bit, sometimes a really big
0: one. It's a huge payoff. It's a, I mean, I think at this point, it's a huge payoff. And that, I think, you know, and so I have to be careful. Because sometimes it actually quite offends me. Mm-hmm. Having worked with women who would come in with bruises on their face, who were not interested in rocking their trauma at all. Right? Like, what they were interested in doing is finding out what they were going to do next. And so I, I can get, like, into this offended place. You know, in my own personal trauma history, I'm like, oh, come the fuck on. <laughs> um, which is not... My best self, right? And that's not the self I try to bring to facilitation. Um, uh, but I, I think that there can be an individual payoff that is a collective detriment, right? Because then we don't, as a group, move forward together. I am not in any way saying that people should not work with their personal trauma. I think actually that's really key. I think that's what I do in my off time. I do not bring it to the groups. I'm working with and expect them to attend to it instead of doing some work together. And so I think, you know, sometimes you and I talk about working with adults. That's kind of like, that's, that's, and it's not to be insulting to anyone, but that's like who I want to work with. I want to work with people who say like, yep, this hurt happened. And I'm willing to take, I'm willing to do my healing on it. And I'm willing to know that healing will come through taking some action together, but I'm not going to hold everybody up around my part, my, my, particular trauma I this moment it's a really interesting moment because of course you know I said I don't know why I picked going into that sexual assault office as a junior but of course I know why I was raped as a freshman in college and I was raped in my early life and that you know so of course there was like something working in me to do that work and uh and so for many years survivor was a key part of my identity and not in like I want to hold up the group but like yeah look I did that I survived that and I've healed from it and I'm doing healing. And um, I had this moment in a workshop, the presencing workshop, Auto Scharmer's presencing workshop, years and years ago. Like, I mean, I didn't have my second child, um, so more than 10 years ago, when it was like a five-day-long, 30-person t- immersive workshop, it isn't that any longer, and we did this um this game where we went, you know, of course right? Something like the four directions and you have someone talk to you and they're a wizard and they're a shaman and you know, all the things that you do. And, uh, <laughs> naturally, you know, our I, world.
1: I haven't done that
0: one, but I like <laughs> it. So, and I had like, it was, it was actually like my, no, it was not my first moment of presence. It was my first professional moment of presence. And, um, so we're walking around this board and my partner was asking me questions and I had like this download that was like who you are. And I understood that that meant my survivorship. Who you are is an important and will inform, but it is not who you will be. And I shed that identity. Like it just like moment, like just in a moment, just shed that identity. Of course, I know I'm a survivor. Of co- I mean, of, co- like, of course, that informs every single part of my life. It is not central. That victimization is not central. To my identity, I don't need to build my work around it. I don't need to build my family around it. I don't need to build my identity around it. And yet, the beauty of it is that that experience of trauma, that experience, what I learned, what I learned from it, can absolutely inform who I am. But it is not who I am. And I think that that for me was one of those turning points that seems relevant to this conversation because I think many of us, and in really good ways, right? It is ama- It is amazing for women to walk into and men to walk in to services where they hear your trauma is real and you have survived it. You are a survivor. Like that is transformative stuff. It is not, however, the end of your work, right? It's, it's actually just the beginning of your work. And so wow. I think, um, I think that that is as a facilitator I tend that's why it's part of the reason I move from individual to collective space and part of why I believe the collective spaces and the action we take and the work we do together will absolutely heal some of that but it's not the point so I'm not a therapist anymore right like it's not my work is I don't I feel like I've meandered but do you no speak? no thank
1: you thank you Tuesday I I I have a, a couple of thoughts I, I want to offer in gratitude and an inspiration. Uh but you know, you said as you were speaking some, some pretty pretty serious things about some pretty challenging experiences you've had. And I know you I know you've done the work and so you can say them with with, with yeah. ease and health. And, and I know I know that from my own bad experiences. I know I can talk about things in my past that have been healed. Um, and I have a commitment that I have made to myself, which is when somebody when a woman shares something like that with me i i I need to say that I am sorry mm. and I am sorry, not abstractly, I'm sorry for my role right mm. in, in whatever contribution I have made to this patriarchal culture to this 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 toxic masculinity inevitably right inevitably. I have been a part of that, and uh, I'm so conscious of it uh, mm. as you speak that I just want to kind of pause for a second and say that. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for hearing it. Thank you for hearing it. it it's. In, it, I think I think we we men need to take responsibility. Mm. Um. I wanted to say something. Looking at the time, I wanted to to say something. I have, I have a couple of kind of closing questions to ask you but I want to make a kind of fun proposal slash announcement of sorts
0: Oh, okay
1: (laughs) well I feel like I have been kind of informally Mm -hmm. having conversations with with different people that care about facilitation that care about equity Mm -hmm. that care about racial justice that care about liberation
0: yeah
1: uh about this 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 topic that, that you and I are yeah. wrestling with right now and, and you are one of the people that that I've spoken most concretely about mm. uh, about it with so, so you and I have talked about uh you know we've, we've kind of been funny in in our language but we've talked about creating a space that is safe from safe spaces <laughs> it. and, uh, and it's not to, it's not to diminish the importance of a safe space but what, what we've talked about and and is to have a a space that people consent into opt into yeah. right yeah. and it's a space that says what has happened to us merits our anger and our rage. yes, and if you need to have anger and rage if that's that's part of our that's kind of the part of the journey you're on, you should have it. you need to work yeah. right and uh and and what we've been through. As a people, as a people, uh, and in our individual lives, and we're wrestling with even now, uh, merits are healing and our understanding, mm-hmm. and kind of our naming of trauma and the need yeah. for for safety and for protection and for that kind of tending to, right? And we're saying that those things matter; that people should have them. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. But we're also saying that we want to experiment with spaces where that's not what we're leading with yeah and that we're doing it intentionally and it's not that there should ever be like a long-term space where we do not acknowledge the anger and the hurt and the trauma but but for experimental purposes we're creating a space where that discourse is not allowed yeah where where we contend with our reality or with the. with, the, with our structural reality, right? We look mm-hmm. at, at, at the structural reality, at, at oppression, at racism, at all these things, but we refuse, right? We refuse to take a victim perspective in doing so. Yes.
0: yes. Are you saying you're gonna convene us? Is that what you're saying? No, no. Me.
1: I'm saying we, <laughs> we. And, and that's why I said it's like a proposal slash announcement, because in some ways we have been talking about this already, right? Even though, like it hasn't, we haven't kind of moved into it more seriously. But as, as we talk about it on the podcast, you know, if people respond, right? If we hear from folks encouraging us to move this forward, I I think we need to at least experiment. You know, uh, absolutely, we're creating the kind of space
0: that is so exciting. I and I and I feel like there are many of us that are hungry for it. Right, we know that something's happening in the discourse that's important around acknowledging trauma, and yet we still continue to get stuck, 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 stuck. And um, so I'm completely up for that, and uh, and would love to, do it, and would love to be with kindreds who are interested in exploring what that looks like. And there's something, and you know, I've said it before about working with you, and I um, and I feel it about myself. Those years, my own early life experience, but also those years working with trauma survivors, like, I'm never going to forget that. Like, I don't have to worry. Like, I, I'm not ever going to become ungrounded, right? Like, I'm not ever going to deny that that is the reality that we're living in, right? I, I know that I carry that in my bones. And I feel like you're the same way. I feel like there's no part of you that denies the hardness of what is happening and has been happening and continues to happen to our people and so uh, our peoples in so many ways. And so it's like, what is a foundation of actually just knowing that reality and moving from there. Right. Um, how did you say it? Not getting, I don't, you said not getting caught in victimhood. And um, I think that that's, that's part of it for me. And I want to, I would love to pull together people who are interested in being their very highest selves in mm-hmm. it. Right. So it's yeah. not only just not like retreating into victimhood, but actually expanding into our best selves to take it on with that all is- the maturity and wisdom <clears throat> and laughter. Cause I don't know. When you're with people who are traumatized, they laugh a lot. They laugh a lot. It's not really serious all the time. That's not what's happening.
1: Yeah, no, no. I'm glad you say that. And I, 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 we should, I, I, we need to, we need to pause. But here it is. We've made the, we've made the proposal. We put it out into the world to see how people, people respond. But I do think there's there's a hunger for this, particularly. Like we started the conversation. This is the time where the equity conversation, people are paying yeah. more attention to it. So there's opportunity here. There's great opportunity. Yeah. Um, thank you, Tuesday. I am I, really excited about this possibility. Uh, and the last thing I'll say about it is, you know, the idea of post-traumatic growth. Like mm-hmm. what is what has happened to us is exactly what has prepared us to meet Yes. This moment in humanity, right? where we're, we're, we're facing the potential for collapse, I wanted to ask you mm.
0: uh,
1: two questions that are meant to be quick.
0: <laughs> are you but, saying like, like be quiet, no, be quiet? No, that's not that's like, not, that's like, that's like, not, that's not like, right. like let's just keep this. But I already <laughs> mentioned time. Like pull it together, Ryan Hart. Like, make the question. Okay, I'll I'll do my best. We'll see. I can't
1: believe you're giving me a hard time. You know that these are classic facilitation moves. You don't have to call me out on them. <laughs> but the...
0: no, no, I do. I, I do. I I am who I am. I have to.
1: So I don't need you to tell me where you see yourself in ten years. But I want to invite you to see yourself in ten years. Take a wild guess, right? Like if you take and take can take a, a leap a decade ahead, a decade from now. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's not my question. That's just my invitation. Mm -hmm. Right. Can you picture it? Yep. Okay. Do you have a sense? Absolutely. Do you know what your body feels like there? Yep. Beautiful. All right. What is the best advice Mm. that that version of you, 10 years from now, has for you right now?
0: I think she would just say dance.
1: Oh. Yeah. That is so moving and beautiful. Thank you. Yeah.
0: yeah. Huh. There's lots of, I mean, there's lots behind that, gibran but I think that would be that's what she would tell me.
1: Wow. And have you been dancing?
0: I've been trying.
1: Hmm.
0: I've been trying. I mean, like, look, that is my full-on intent at this phase in my life. <sighs> dance my way to that.
1: I did see you on the dance floor at the Bali summit. <laughs> I did notice that. So. Uh, let, so then the other question is a little bit more, uh, the question that I have that I promised myself that I would ask uh, mm-hmm. uh, the powerful women in my life. Mm-hmm. In this time where the ugliness of men, uh, is kind of being shown, becoming, taking center stage, right? It's not that it hasn't been there, but now we can really see it. People have now, have the courage to call it out, right? This, this me too moment. Um, I'm, I'm, one of my projects is called The Better Man Project and it's, it's a way, it, it's a, it's a way to, to tackle this question, the problem of toxic masculinity by, by inviting conscious masculinity and the question that i have is what advice or or what words do you have for men in these times what can we do what should we pay attention to
0: yeah i've heard you ask this on of the other women on the podcast and my answer is always the same and i i guess i'm just going to give it i wish it were more profound Uh, But my answer is stop hurting us, like stop Mm. it, make the decision today that you're going to stop hurting us um, because that will change the world. If, if you simply make that decision, it will change the world. And I mentioned my grandfather early in this podcast and, um, and I am, I am his person, right? Like I am like directly his, and he made the decision in his life one day to stop drinking and he stopped drinking. He made the decision in his life one day to, um, to have the life he wanted. And he left his marriage and had the life he wanted. And so I, my, my image of a strong, caring, loving, fierce man is that when they decide to do something, they just do it. And so what I would say is like, decide, decide to stop hurting us and it will stop.
1: Wow. Thank you. What a powerful answer! And thank you for, thank you for taking the time uh, to be in conversation with me today. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your partnership in this facilitation work. Yeah, it's one of the coolest developments of the last, of, of, of of my work in the last couple of years. It's really exciting. Yeah, uh, to work is. with you. Yeah,
0: it's great. It's and it's fun. It's fun. That is like what I want my work to be: deep, grounded, fun, and like doing shit. And that's yeah. what, you know, like, that's what I feel like I get with you. So I'm, I'm thrilled to do it. And I, thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, I have a feeling this will not be uh, our last go around, but I'm really excited about this conversation. I can't wait to put it out into the world.